This is BT Techno, a regular podcast series for financial advisors wanting to remain at the forefront of strategy, regulatory and industry news. Hello and welcome to today's BT Techno podcast. My name is Brian Ashenden and I have the pleasure of leading the BT Technical Services team, a team of experts available to answer any advice, technical queries you may have about strategies for your clients. In this week's podcast, I'm handing the microphone over to Michael Tran, a technical consultant in BT's technical services team. Now, recently, Mike delivered a webinar on aged care, which spawned several interesting questions. In this podcast, Mike will delve into these queries and elaborate on them to assist you with expanding your knowledge. So, with no further ado, Mike, it's now over to you. Thanks, Brian. On the 20th of October, I presented episode 37 of our fortnightly webinar series on the topic of aged care. This was a follow-up from an earlier session I delivered in August in the previous year. If you missed either of these, you can still watch them on demand by clicking on this and the previous session in the webinars menu online on PT Academy. We received quite a few queries resulting from this session, which is excellent to see the level of engagement from advisors. Um, In this podcast, I'll address what I think are the common themes and lines of questioning from advisors during and after the session. If we start with question number one, the most popular theme involved the low mean status with one of the questions about whether a new resident had a choice to elect to be non-low means. Now, firstly, to provide some context, and hopefully you will recall, I elaborated upon the importance of the first means test for a new aged care resident as this is used to determine whether they enter aged care as a low means or a non-low means resident, or what I like to refer to as a market price payer for their accommodation costs. Where the resident's daily means tested amount is equal to or greater than the maximum accommodation supplement, they are classified as non-low means or a market price payer and their accommodation costs will be equal to the aged care agreement refundable accommodation deposit or RAD or daily accommodation payment DAP combination. If the daily means tested amount instead works out to be lower than the maximum accommodation supplement, the resident is classified as a low means resident and their accommodation costs will be equal to the lower of two numbers, the daily means tested amount, and the the accommodation supplement for the facility. In the webinar, I showed you a couple examples which show the low mean status is not always beneficial because the advertised costs could work out to be lower. This serves as a basis of this question from multiple advisors. Um, So returning to the question, can a new aged care resident choose to be a market price payer in this instance? despite being assessed as low means? The simple answer to this is no. Now, where the first means test is conducted for a new resident, the result of this assessment has to apply. However, what I hint at in this answer is that while the resident can't choose to be a market price payer if they have gone through that assessment, which has assessed them as low means, They do, however, have a choice of whether they wish to disclose their means for this actual means test in the first instance. This will be particularly the case for an age pensioner who is a homeowner as well. 
They can elect to enter in as what's classified as a means not disclosed resident. And the result is that they become a marker price payer or a non-low means resident by default. So under aged care law, if you do not disclose your means for that first means test, you enter in as a non-low means resident. This will mean that their accommodation costs will be based off the advertised RAD and DAP. But you must be aware that the means not disclosed status will also mean that the client would have to pay the maximum means tested care fee for their care for the, for the duration that they are classified this way. But once the non-low means status applies, the resident could then supply their means and request that it is assessed after the RAD or DAP is paid and their means tested fee would now work out to be the right figure over the long term. You may have also noticed that I specifically mentioned that this can apply to homeowner age pensioners specifically. And this is because Services Australia will not have the full details to complete a means test for aged care purposes. It won't have the value of the home or the principal home. It should also be noted that an aged pensioner non-homeowner who enters care can potentially have their first means test done automatically because Services Australia will have all the information necessary to conduct this means test, but there may be an option for this resident to repeal such an assessment. How to apply this option should be discussed with Services, Services Australia if you wish to explore it. Our second question, um, on the same theme, the second question was whether the low means status applies for the duration of the stay in aged care. For this one, essentially, yes, this is the case. And it illustrates again the importance of that first means test. Where the resident remains in the same aged care service, the original first means test assessment, which may determine that the resident is low means, will apply for the duration of this service. This remains the case even if the resident's means increase at a later stage. If the resident were to enter a different facility or different aged care service, they would be reassessed at this stage. So in other words, a new means test would apply in that circumstance, but that it is not redone, it's not reassessed if they always remain with their existing one. The third question, again on a related topic, another query was how to determine the applicable supplement that applies to the facility or resident. This should be information that can be requested from the facility. If you recall from the webinar, there are two components that determine the accommodation supplement for a facility. The first is the quality or standard of the facility, so whether it is a new or significantly refurbished one since the 20th of April 2012, if it is a standard facility or a substandard one. And that largely relates to the number of residents per bathroom or per room. Um, the second factor is whether there are more than 40% of residents, either low means or supported. The facility is assessed obviously on the first factor and the second one can change continuously. That is the ratio of different occupants is tracked and reported um, by the facility to receive the appropriate funding from government. I would also point out that it is the responsibility of the facility to ensure that the resident does not pay more than what is calculated under aged care law. 
where the resident has overpaid the facility, they would need to refund this amount. For our last question, this related to the strategy of uh, staggering entry of members of a couple who both require care and the length of time that needed to elapse between the first entering and the second. For this question, I'd say that this could simply be on separate days. That's how much time would need to elapse. When looking at the disclosure of means forms, as an example, uh, one of the instructions explains that the disclosures, the disclosures should be at the entry or application date. The entry date is relevant where the resident has already moved into aged care, while the application date is when the form is lodged for those who are yet to enter residential aged care. If we step through an example, we have a couple who have been ACAT or ACAS assessed and approved for aged care and who have identified a facility with a vacancy for them. When the first spouse enters, but before the second spouse entering, they would be disclosing their means based on their entry date in terms of the first spouse here. When, once the second spouse um, enters care themselves, uh, the second spouse will be completing the form from that context on their entry date. Uh, this would be indicating that no protected person resides in that home. And once that occurs also, the first spouse will also disclose a change in their circumstances after this time. Well, thanks, Mike. Certainly a lot of complexity that can apply to aged care. If you missed Mike's webinar on this topic, you can always view it on replay by heading to www.bt.com.au forward slash professional and follow the links to the BT Academy webinar series. There, you'll find Mike's recent session, as well as recordings of all other sessions we have delivered, all of which have been accredited for CPD purposes. And whilst there, why not register for our next fortnightly BT Academy webinar, which is scheduled for midday, November the 3rd, when I'll be presenting on the topic, Are You in the Business of Ethics? Now, a lot of discussion about ethics and financial planners has focused on the recommendations made to clients and your standing as a professional advisor always acting in your client's best interest. While this is vitally important, has it been at the expense of your business? This session will focus in on a number of the ethical considerations that arise in a financial planning business context that have the ability to set your business up for success and show how ethical considerations really do become a part of everyday life. And finally, please remember, if you have any technical advice strategy questions, you can access the expertise of the BT Technical Services team on 1800 655 901 or send the team an email at technical at btfinancialgroup.com. Until next time, bye for now. BT Tech knows and now you know. Join us next time to keep ahead of the curve for strategy, regulatory and industry news. This podcast has been developed for financial advisor use only and provides general information only. It does not take into account any particular individual's objectives, financial situations or needs.